Greetings and welcome to Pop's Collection, where we dissect and reflect on a movie or TV show from my Pop's Collection. I'm Ron Tweedy, and joining me is my Pop's, and today we'll be discussing The Rocketeer. Good morning, good afternoon, or good something. <laughs> well, I don't know when somebody's going to be listening. Could be good evening. Right, exactly. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Cool. So, like I said at the end of the last episode, we're taking a, a trip back quite a bit from where we have been from a chronological standpoint and uh, we're going to be covering a movie that was done by Disney based on a graphic novel that's not Marvel. True and actually I found out some pretty interesting information about that the story itself. When the credits come on at the beginning it says based on a graphic novel the Rocketeer. Mm. So I looked into that. Uh, the creator of that story, his name was Dave Stevens. Okay. And he actually wrote the story, or he started, let me just clarify that, he started writing the story in 1982. Wow, okay. All right, in 1983, he started trying to plug it for a uh, movie. Mm. And I will tell you this. The story was not, it was probably completed in his mind, but was not even brought out by then. Wow. Mr. Stevens was known more for his ink work. He did work for Jack Kirby and uh, other great storytellers and writers. And his main claim to fame, this, by the way, The Rocketeer, his only comic slash graphic novel. Wow, okay. Yes, he was known for, like I said, his ink work. He actually did uh, storyboards for the Super Friends, mm -hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. He even uh, he did the storyboards for Thriller, for Michael Jackson. Wow. Yeah, so that's kind of what he was noted for. And he had this idea. He was born in the early 50s. Okay. And so he had this fascination with the 50s. And his story was based a lot on that era. It's, it's called a period comic. Mm -hmm. Right. Somewhat like Captain America. Actually, I'd say it's more like uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Because that came out in the 60s and that was taking place during World War II. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's right. Well, anyways, as a period uh, story... The director for this movie was none other than Joe Johnston, whose other period movie was Captain America, the first Avenger. What? <laughs> yeah, how about that? That is amazing. Yeah, you, 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 I know, and I saw that. I, I did the same thing. What? <laughs> but what? I have to tell, tell you the way that it worked. Yeah. The Rocketeer was actually a second in a, for Pacific Comics. Mm -hmm. And their main comic was Star Slayer. Okay. Issue number two and number three. And back in those days, there was like a, another story that appeared in the same comic, mm. like an afterthought. Okay. Well, anyway, so that was on Pacific Comics, the first two there part. Then the next two parts were moved to Pacific Presents, with the fourth part of the that story being a cliffhanger. So, like, nobody knew what was going to happen with the Rocketeer or anything. Until a few years later, 
it came out with a single comic with a comic called Eclipse Comic. Okay. And then it had two issues with a cli- uh, clips called The Rocketeer Magazine in 1988 and 1989. Oh, I'm sorry, that was with Comico Comics. Uh-huh. And then the third and final issue of The Rocketeer Magazine was published in 95 by Dark Horse. Okay. So already the movie's been made. Yeah. 1995 was the last published Rocketeer Magazine. And after that, and only after that, Dark Horse and Eclipse both published the graphic novels. Gotcha. Okay. And then IDW picked up the comic in 2011. Okay. But it's all been just one story, one creator, Dave Stevens. Yeah. And so it's like, wow. So it was kind of interesting that I'm wondering if Joe Johnston got picked for Captain America because of his period work with the Rocketeer. It very well could be. Yeah, that is that is really cool. I, it, so a couple things. I'm, I'm just, your research, I'm just hearing it for the first time. And so like, there's so many really cool things that are going on in my head. So first thing is that this project was at least a decade in the making. And it's really cool how the... Uh, author never gave up and he was actually able to accomplish hopefully his vision if he was happy with it i don't know what his reaction was to the when story when it finally came on the screen but the other thing is that this is almost like a grandfather to captain america like i can definitely see stylistically the similarities it's fascinating yeah it's uh it's crazy again stevens was infatuated with the 50s right and so he did a lot of research, and I believe he must have been somewhere in California because yeah. I have other information that we'll talk about a little bit later. Okay. But as we get further in the, as we get into the story, yeah. But there are just some incredible things that happened all during this and his life. Unfortunately, Mr. Stevens died from leukemia. Oh wow! In like 2008, I can't. I don't have the date with me. I have it somewhere, but I just write off the top of my head. Like I told you, I got a ton of notes. Yeah. So that's okay. Yes. So we'll get into it. But uh, anyways, why don't we get into the story? Yeah. Uh, or we could also talk about the release date, which was June 21st, 1991. So we're talking a long time ago, uh, I guess, in, in the grand scheme of things. So... I was the ripe old age of seven, and it was the uh, summer between first and second grade for me. So we were living in South Florida, and I know for me, this movie was, I I guess I was probably the intended market for it as a a young boy, and I do remember it really being everywhere because of a couple of different places. Number one, the Disney Channel would run promos on it nonstop, and so... I'd watch some behind the scenes footage or highlights from the film. And so I definitely was aware of it. They had it in their little uh, digest magazine, Disney adventures. They, that was all about it. And I think it hit full ubiquity for me when I saw it in mad magazine, they actually made a full parody of it in mad magazine. So, you know, you kind of hit the, uh, the mainstream when you have a uh, parody things uh, written after you. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was uh, kind of incredible. I remember Disney just, they do know how to market their products. Yeah. And I do have to say that uh, yesterday, watching football games, college football games, 
during every game, there was a blue line right across the bottom, and it said Disney plus Star Wars plus Marvel plus Pixar. Yeah. You know, Disney plus Tuesday, you know, and it's like, wow, they're even in the college football games, they're pushing it, you know, but yes, you know, that's the audience that they wanted to get. So I'm a little bummed that, but yeah, 1991, what a year it was, uh, it was great. It was a good thing. So character backgrounds, I think we should go over next if you'd like to. Okay. Bill Campbell played the main guy, the Rocketeer, and he played uh, the character's name was Cliff Secord, and his girlfriend, yep, Jennifer Conley, who, by the way, also played Betty Ross in the 2003 Hulk movie. She was modeled after 1950s a pinup model name of a Betty Page, right? Who. Stevens was infatuated with her. Gotcha. Alan Arkin was played Peavy, who was like the mechanic wizzo genius, you know? Right. And then, of course, 007, Timothy Dalton. Yes. Played... uh, Neville Sinclair. Thank you, Neville, uh, who was a spy, just like James Bond. Yeah. So I think he probably got that part because he did the Bond movies, 87, 89. Yes, yeah, and I'll have to say that uh, he is the best Bond. Just trying to throw that out there. Timothy Dalton? He's he's my, I think, for me, in my estimation, he is the most uh, true to the fictional character. Yeah, I'll have to... I'll reserve judgment on that. That's okay. Because, I'm sure it's, uh, that's pretty, you know it's a pretty controversial statement, but I'm gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna say he's he was the best one. He's not my favorite, but he's the best one. Uh, any of our listeners would like to dispute that? <laughs> you can always you can always email us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, the next main character, Paul Sorvino. Yes, gangsta. He's a real gangsta. Yeah. He was uh, in Goodfellas. Uh, he actually was in Law, Law and Order. Order. Yeah, that, that's where I remember him. Police captain. Yeah. But he played his part real well also, you know? Oh, yeah. Big time. So that pretty much are the main characters. There are some others. Howard Hughes. i drawn a blank on the actor's name. Terry right O'Quinn. Now, but, uh, yes. And there was a few other guys in there, the FBI agents and uh, yeah. other small parts uh, that were played. But Disney, one thing about Disney, they do know how to pick a cast and they do know how to pick a director obviously yeah totally and when we get to the end we're gonna i'm gonna show you another reflection so okay it'll be another (laughs) mind-blowing part okay (laughs) all right okay so we open up with the credits and we see like two metal doors opening up right it's given us all of the actors' names and everything, and it's it opens up to a field. Right, exactly. And we really don't know anything of it at the moment. Right. Yep, they're, right. the guys are, are rolling out a stunt plane, and looks like they're getting it ready for a, a test flight, right? Yes, yes. And actually, not real, more than a stunt plane, they were known as speed racers. Okay. Yes, they were actually racing planes, and the idea was to see who could go the fastest. They were racing planes like they would race cars in an oval. They do planes the same way. Interesting. Only much more dangerous 
in the air. Yeah, seriously. Mm. You have a wipeout, and it's not that good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I do have a clip for that. Let's just kind of open up the scene, and uh, we have uh, PB here explaining to Cliff about playing itself. So let's listen to that. Well, you know, keep her straight, keep her level. It's your first time up, so don't do anything interesting. Who, me? Yeah, you. And remember, she stalls out at about 100. So keep the air speed up, otherwise you can be drifting around all over the sky. And if the ailerons start to shimmy... Baby, I have flown a plane or two in my life. You know? Not like this one you have, and this one's, this one's a handful. You sneeze in this thing, and you can end up upside down on the bean field. That's fresh paint, damn it! You want me to crash? Chewing gum, you're gonna keep your butt up in the air? You treat her nice, Clifford. She's gonna take us all the way to the Nationals. Let's make some history. So kind of get a little bit of both uh, Cliff and Peavy's personality. Cliff is this risk taker, and he's very daring speed pilot. And then you have Peavy trying to keep him grounded and trying to... He's kind of like the mentor slash father figure for Cliff. Yeah, we learn a little bit later about their relationship. And we also learn that they built this plane, the two of them. Right. They did it themselves. They... Save the money, and of course, back in those days, it might cost a few dollars, might cost them maybe a thousand dollars to build the whole plane. Who knows? Yeah, how money was back then. We know that it was a lot different than what it is now. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, anyways, while they're getting ready to do all this and they're trying to get their stuff together, it flashes to another part of this little area, right? And uh, what we see then is like a car chase scene. Yes, yes, very old school where you have uh, three cars in particular. You've got these these two guys that are in a car trying to get away. They have a mysterious case, and then you have a cop car chasing after them, and you have another car that's chasing after both of those cars. So it's kind of like there's three parties involved in this, so it's a little messy. Right, and the guy that's in the front car is sitting in the back where the trunk is at. Yep. And that... What he was in, that was called the mother-in-law seat. Right, right. And you know the reason it was called that is because back in the day, what they used to call when you would go on a date or if you're interested in a woman, right, it was called courting. Yes. And you couldn't go out on a date alone with your date unless you, you know, if you were serious about you were going to marry the woman, then... You had to take the mother-in-law with you. She was like the chaperone. Right, yeah. So you put her on the seat outside. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't make many mother-in-laws happy, though. Yeah. 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 But, uh... So, big chase scene. Right, there's a firefight. Uh, People start shooting at each other. The, The folks that are being chased have a Tommy gun, so they're just blasting away at the other cars. The, uh, cop car crashes, and... All while this is happening, Cliff is flying in the air testing out the the GB, which is the name of the plane that he's racing, and he flies over. It's chasing, and for whatever reason, the guy that's the, the guys that are trying to get away, the guy with the Tommy gun, he thinks that Cliff is probably part of this. I don't know, but he just decides to start firing at the plane too. And unfortunately, the bullets hit the plane, and things start to go very wrong for Cliff. Yeah, it develops an oil leak. It starts smoking. His windshield is all covered with black oil. Yep. 
He's having trouble seeing. He takes his fist and smashes out the window. And then his goggles get covered yeah. with the oil. So not really a smart idea, Cliff. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> While he's doing that, again, we're still dealing with the car chase. Right. So everything just kind of melds together. The front car that's being chased starts heading in a direction towards the airfield. Right. The other car is chasing them, and we really don't know who's chasing who or what it's all about until a little bit later. Right, exactly. But what comes up next is just like, oh no. It's like, really? Come on. Yeah. So it's just a, I don't know what you would call it, a uh, symphony of disasters. Yeah. You know? Comedy of errors. Yeah. Like all kinds of crazy the Comedy stuff. of errors. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so, all good. Yeah. So the, the car gets to, he kind of, they, they evade the other car. For a little bit, they go into the hangar where Cliff and PB Stuff is at, and so the the driver gets out of the car, and the other guy who has had the the gunner, he's been gunned down and he's dead, and so the guy who survives, Wilmer, he takes the case and whatever's in the case, he switches it out with a vacuum cleaner that was in the hangar, and so he put the vacuum cleaner in the case to kind of put a little switcheroo so he could evade the feds. Which we find out that he he um, lets that out that the the FBI is actually the ones that are chasing him. Right. So and he also once he disguises the vacuum and puts it in the case, he takes back off and heads out in the airfield. Right. And as he's doing that, Cliff is trying to land. Yes. And so you know, and he can't see. Yep. Half of the uh, landing gear gets clipped off by the truck. The truck goes into a fuel tanker. The tanker blows up and just. All kinds of crazy stuff is happening. Oh, yes. And everybody that was rooting for Cliff to do good has to come to his rescue. Exactly. Yep. And so thankfully he did get rescued. One thing that he, he jumps out of the plane, helps him, they help him get the uh, cover off, and he jumps out. And before they uh, are able, before he leaves, he actually goes back and gets the picture of his girlfriend, Jenny. Yes. Yes. Jenny, again, who we said was modeled after the 1980s pinup model Betty Page, who at the time she was known as the the world's greatest pinup model. Okay. Really, so she was like the most popular of all, but gotcha. it's all good. So anyway, the feds really don't care that, you know, we learned then that Cliff and Peavy have spent their life savings on building this plane. Yeah. And here it is, it's maiden voyage, and they could care less. Right. They're indifferent towards yeah. it. They just said, hey, you can write a letter, maybe you'll get some compensation, but really it's not our problem. We got bigger things to deal with, right? Right. And Cliff's not happy about that. No, no. He decides to sock one of the agents after he, the other guy was told him to get a real job. And so he could have brought him in, but they didn't bring him in. They just kind of let sleeping dogs lie because they realized that, hey, if I lost project that i've been working years on i probably get really mad too at the the people who were indifferent towards that yes yes so they get to the fbi gets to the car yep or the back of the car and they find uh the burnt suitcase and the burnt vacuum cleaner right they don't know that that's what it is but right as a matter of fact no, we don't know at that time what even was in that suitcase exactly yeah when uh, they talked to wilmer who is now like in a stretcher being taken to the hospital he said that he he blew it up so y'all are just out of luck 
Yes, although I think he had more of a mafia accent or yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't think you said you all. Yeah, you're probably right. That's just, that's that's my uh, paraphrasing. I am in the South. You are. That's true. That's true. So from that point, feds call, make a phone call. Yes, and we find out that. This is none other than Howard Hughes. Right, exactly. Yep, they they, ex- like, they explain to him what happened, and he gets off the phone with them, and that's that's pretty much the big thing there, right? And then he has some people from the government that are there with him uh, that actually overheard his side of the conversation, and then they ask him, uh, so what, what's the next plan? And so this is what uh, he tells them. They chased it to an airstrip in the valley. There was a wreck on the runway. The X-3 was destroyed. Well, better lost than in the wrong hands. How soon can you rebuild it? Rebuild it? Not a chance. My people in Washington will have something to say about that. Your people in Washington want to turn anything that flies into a weapon. Apparently someone else had the same idea. Sir, I'm afraid we must insist. I'll remind you boys that I don't work for the government. I cooperate at my discretion. Two of my best pilots were killed during the test phase. God knows how many more men would have died if it had flown. No, gentlemen. I'm sorry I ever dreamed the damn thing up. Sir, I wish you would reconsider. What do we tell the president? Tell him the dream is over. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. Yep, so he is killing the project. Yes, and also, since he is like one of the richest men in the world at that time, yep. he could say so. Right. Could almost be, he could almost be president Yeah, if, if he wanted. That's a good point. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so we still aren't positive what it's all about right we do see this picture of the world's fair of next year which is 1939 so i think it takes place in 38 and it's this picture of these people flying on rocket packs so we we assume that's what the the movie's about now x3 yes yes yeah that's true but still nobody says what it is right so from there we flash back to the airfield. Right, yeah, we get introduced to a new character, Bigelow, and he's the owner of the airfield. And so, because of the mess that happened, he holds the pilots responsible, so Cliff and, and Peavy. And so, there's lots of damages that they have to repair, not to mention that there's no compensation for them with their plane. So, in order for them to pay back Bigelow, they have to do the clown show. And so, this was an act that they did during the races or in the middle of the races. And they, uh, somebody dressed up as a clown, they got in a plane, it's an old plane called Miss Mabel, and that was there for entertainment. So they're going to have to pay back Bigelow that way by doing the show for him. Right, and if you notice, the pay was really good. <laughs> $15 a show? Yeah. Yes, yeah. And five of it went to Bigelow, and then they had to split the other. Right. Ten, you know, so five apiece. Yeah. And to go up in a death trap, they said. Right. And uh, so it's funny that then he, Cliff, gets into the plane and he's like, oh, there's something in here under the seat. Right. And lo and behold, it's the X-3. Yes, exactly. They unbox it 
and they're like, what is this thing? And so they uh, press the button, or Cliff presses the button, and, and PB says, I wouldn't touch that if I were you, which you kind of see the, the character dynamic between the two again, Cliff being the risk taker. He does that, and then the rocket just goes all over the place in the in the hangar, and uh, they're finally able to turn it off, and one thing he notices is that when he touches the rocket, it actually is cooled, So, and it runs on alcohol, which is different. Yes, yeah, so again, a different aspect, a different story that Peavy is the guy that's more cautious, and they're kind of, it's almost like I can remember back in the day when we used to go to Calvary Chapel, Pastor Bob saying that when you're becoming a couple, one is frivolous, the other one's frugal, that opposites attract, but they also help to make a good team. So just like that, Cliff is ready to jump off the end of a cliff. Yeah. You know? And Peavy's there with a rope to hold him back. So right, it's right. kind of the same type of thing. Yep. And that's the, why they have such a successful relationship. Uh-huh. Is that they're able to bounce off of each other. Right. You know? Right. But at that same time, they don't know where it belongs. They just know that the FBI is looking for it. Uh, but Cliff's not ready to give it back. No, no. They, in fact, they wanted to do a little bit more testing on it and so we see this quick scene of them going to the flight school where there's a statue outside and they end up taking the statue because they want to use it as a uh, test dummy right right they cut it at the legs at and that was eddie rickenbacker you know Uh uh-huh who's but you know was a famous pilot at that time and (laughs) then they decide to take it out in the field so and you know even though cliff is the risk taker yeah pb is curious. He wants to know yeah. how it works, you know, because the his mind is just like, how can that still be cold if it has fuel in it? Right. You know? And right. He he wants is his mind is just racing. He wants to know more about it. Exactly. And and before they get a chance to do that, we actually get treated to another scene that happens in the meantime. So we get to this place where we have this English actor that's uh, practicing some sword fighting. And you have some gangsters there. And so we find out that the guys who took the package actually work for the gangsters. And so uh, we have uh, the introduction of Eddie Valentine and Neville Sinclair. And we find out that Neville Sinclair hired Eddie to steal the package and give it to him. And so Eddie's not too happy that one of his guys got killed and the other one's very badly hurt. And he demands to know what is so special about this thing that we're getting, and I want to know what it is. And so Neville uh, tells him, Now where's the package? Nothing's going to happen with me and my boys until you tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. Send me a check. Let's get out of here, boys. It's a rocket. A rocket? Yeah, like in the comic books. Now, what happened to it? I don't know. Wilma knows. He's in the hospital, surrounded by cops. Maybe in a couple of days we get to talk. I don't have a couple of days, Eddie. What room's Wilma in? (laughs) Mr. Movie Star. He's going to walk into the hospital with a smile on his face and a handful of posies. He's going to charm the feds to death. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's not exactly what I had in mind. Who cares what you had in mind? <laughs> you don't need my services anymore. You can take it from here. And I'll tell you what, you pay me what you owe me because you're half a lunatic anyhow. <laughs> yep, so Neville then threatens Eddie saying, hey, you're going to get that for me now and I'll double your price and then... And he says, no, you'll triple my place. And then he walks away. And then, uh, so we, that's the end of that scene. He definitely underestimates Neville. Eddie thinks that he is the big bad guy. But Neville is, at that time, Eddie leaves and uh, Neville makes a call yeah. to somebody named Lothar. Yes, that's right. We don't see who Lothar is yet, but we see like just this giant hand pick up a phone, right? Oh, yes. And before we leave that scene, I do want to think, so... Neville is spo- is based on Errol Flynn, right? Yes. Okay, I thought so. Yes. Yes, he, he uh, again, Stevens, the writer, was infatuated with that time period. Right, so right. He was using those different kind of characters, and actually his whole story was based off some of the serials back in the early 50s. Okay. There was one called Commander Cody. Yes, I remember that. And one called Rocket Man. Yeah. But they actually had a rocket pack on their back. Yes. Of course, if you're familiar with the special effects of those days. Yeah. The rocket flames were like sparklers, you know? Well, you know, (laughs) the the only reason why I know about Commander Cody is because they used to have those on Mystery Science Theater 3000. So that's how I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. Well... It was a good serial. I remember seeing them in the movie theaters. Okay. When I was a young boy, they used to have what they called the kitty show on Wednesdays, Uh the movie theaters, and your price of admission was six RC bottle caps. Okay. So So you'd have to drink six RC cola sodas to get the bottle caps so that you could go to the movie, so... They used it to sell the soda. When you went in, you had to have, you usually had a quarter or 50 cents so you could buy a prize box. And then they would show movies like that, which would, during the time, again, Commando Cody was uh, appeared in 1952 and Rocket Man in 53. Gotcha. So here we're talking in the 60s. So not like your regular movies that we're playing, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that this particular story has, you know, we always talk about like the Marvel DC thing where like Marvel is more based on reality because they use actual cities instead of fake cities. This story actually takes real people and not fictional people. So you got Howard Hughes and you have Neville Sinclair really basically is Errol Flynn. And then you have Jenny, who is basically Betty Page, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. And when I did the research... She, Jennifer Conley, looks a lot like her. Oh, yeah. And the way she styled, they styled her hair, mm. almost identical. Wow. It's kind of a cool thing in a way. We'll get into Betty Page a little bit later. Okay. Because I'd like to share some things about that. But sure. maybe towards the end, we'll figure it out. Cool. Anyways, so he calls Lothor. And then we break away from that scene, and where do we go from there? We go to a field that has the statue with the rocket strapped to it, and PB and Cliff are going to see what it can do. And didn't they put a chain on its legs, I think? They did, yeah. It was kind of like a little tether, and it kind of reminded me of like uh, the chain chomps from Mario Brothers, where he's kind of stuck to the chain. And 
yeah, so it, it looks like it's going well until the chain comes loose and they think they lose it. And then it comes flying down at them and it gets crashed into the field. It's just, it's a little bit of a comical scene. And Cliff then gets the crazy idea, hey, you know, people probably pay money to see this, right? Yes, yes, he would. And then PV's like, hey, uh, you know, I don't know about it. And they lift up the statue and half of the head's missing. <laughs> and then Cliff, like, looks at that and he says, I think we're going to need a helmet. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right. Either he says that or PV. Well, PV says, PV says, we're going to need one heck of a lawyer. And then Cliff's like, I think we're going to need a helmet. Yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I know. It was done really well. The special effects were, for that time period, Yeah, done real well. Yeah, it hasn't aged you know? particularly well, particularly with, like you said, the, the special effects. But I think one thing is that you look at early 90s, it's different watching it now that it's on DVD, but if we were watching it on VHS or like on the Disney Channel on a CRT television, they're really good. But now that we have high fidelity or high definition stuff, it's like, yeah, it's not that great. Right. And you know what? It doesn't. It's funny how that that actually makes a difference. Yeah. I, I have some old TV series uh-huh. from different like Flash Gordon and Dick Tracy yeah. and Sheena. Right. And at one time, only had one flat screen. Mm-hmm. And so in my office, I had like a little portable TV. Yeah. Uh, old style. Right. And the picture was much clearer on that television than it was on the flat screen. Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. And it's funny you say that because now we they actually is a market for those old school CRT monitors specifically for old school video games. I know that a lot of folks really prize those things. And we, we have one, one of our rooms in the house still, just specifically for that, just for old video games. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible too how that those TV shows and, and those video games were designed for those systems. Right. So it does make a difference. Yep, that definitely does. So let's go to the next scene. We have the first appearance of Jenny and Cliff is taking her out on a date and are going to go uh, see a movie. And we get some little bit of ex- exposition about Jenny. She's trying to make it in Hollywood. So she's doing some acting gigs and she's not really getting too far. So she's becoming like, she's doing extra work. She is in the background a lot. And so she really wants to really make it though, to be a real actress. And uh, so they, they talk about what movie they want to go see. And she wants to take Cliff to, she wants to choose a movie that Neville Sinclair is in. And Cliff is not really impressed with Neville Sinclair. But the movie that they're going to go see, he plays a pilot in the war, which I'm assuming it was World War One, and he's definitely like interested at that point. Yeah, he cause, but he's more interested because he thinks that Neville's a bum, you know? Right. <laughs> he's a more like, uh, yeah, I want to see this guy screw up. He's it's going to be a joke, is what he thinks. Right. Exactly. Yep. And then the next scene, when we actually get into the movie theater, we have some more exposition about where we're at in history and so we get the newsreel like we did in captain america like in the movie theater and so they're talking about how nazi germany is kind of making an ascendance in europe and um so we're we're not at the point where america is at war with the nazis but they're there they're they're in the ascendance they're kind of take you know making some strides into taking over europe and so there's this feeling of the the Nazi menace overseas and kind of it being a big threat. Right. But again, like you said, we were isolationists at the time. Right. 
And so we still had a relationship with Germany. Yes. And there was a little thing about them bringing their Zeppelin over. I was going to come to Hollywood, go across the United States and make appearances. Yep. Good, good will appearances, close quote. Right, exactly. You know, so we get that, but we don't really see anything about the movie. We don't, but after that's over, yep. it flashes to somewhere else. Lothar is in the hospital. Yep. And he finds Wilmer and he gets Wilmer to tell him where the rocket pack is. Right. And he then proceeds to lift him up out of his bed with all his casts and everything and kind of like breaks him in half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we see that this guy is nobody to mess with. Yeah, exactly. So he knows that the device is supposedly at the airfield and he gets away before the cops are able to uh, catch him. And then we, we flash over to the diner. And so they, they decide after the movie they're going to go for dinner at this diner that is very uniquely uh, shaped. Yes, yes. It's shaped like a bulldog. Right. And it's actually, it was a real place back in the 50s. Uh-huh. That was a thing. I don't know if you know, but when we were in Florida, they had they have a place called the Turnpike before they had... 95 going all the way through. Right, right. And so the turnpike went through the middle, and there was a place that, because it's Florida, citrus is our big market. Yes. And they had a building that was a big orange building that was shaped like an orange. Right. You know, had a green top on it and everything. Well, that was part of, like, in the Art Deco era. Yes. There was a pharmacy... That was kind of made like a pestle and a bowl yep. where they would grind up. And actually, there was one made like an owl, one like an old Mother Hubbard shoe, dinosaurs, all kinds of things. Yeah. So this Bulldog Cafe, as it was known, uh-huh. was a real place. Wow. And it was actually built in the 30s, and it was good until 1955 when they tore it down. Mm -hmm. But because it was on one of the covers of, like, episode three or four of the comic, it was on the cover. Disney decided that they would actually build it. Wow. So they built the cafe, and then after the movie was over, it went to a museum called the peterson museum okay and they and they actually rebuilt it and put it inside wow of this museum interesting they kept it until the 2000s late in the 2000s uh-huh and they decided they were not going to have it anymore so they were going to just destroy it disney's replica uh-huh but this uh, guy bobby green decided that he was going to buy it and he reassembled it Outside, he has a bar in California called the Idle Hour Bar. Okay. And so he put it on the backside of it, more like a just a uh, conversation piece or what have you. People could walk through it. Yeah. But actually in the 2013, uh, 15, I think it was 2015, he decided because on the legs it says tamales on one side and it says ice cream on the other. Uh Uh-huh. He decided he was going to actually open it up and sell tamales. Wow. And to this day, you can actually 
call and place an order for tamales. You can order them online or whatever for the holidays. It's crazy. Wow, that's cool. here it is. Uh, Full circle. Yeah. Got destroyed, rebuilt by Disney, put in a museum, then back outside, and to become an actual part of a restaurant, you know, a cafe. I think we need to take a field trip to uh, there, right? Uh, That would be cool. That would be really cool. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Uh, Jenny and Cliff are having dinner there, and they uh, have this conversation about Jenny wants to go some other places, and so Cliff talks to her about that. How about this? We'll go out and have a real night on the town after you win the Nationals. Yeah. Swell. After I win the Nationals. You're going to fly in the Nationals after all? Well, I'm glad to hear it. After the landing today. How about a warm-up, Malcolm? Huh? You said there were a few bumps. <laughs> Boy, I'll say. She folded like a kite when she hit the runway. We thought old Cliffy's number was up. What with the fire and all. I, I was going to tell you. I didn't want to ruin your evening. Thank you. It's very thoughtful of you. You'd rather make a fool out of me? I'm sorry. I don't want you to be sorry, Cliff. I want you to stop treating me like... like a stranger. When something goes wrong, I should be the first one to know about it. I shouldn't be the last. Jen, everyone knows because they were at the airfield. I had an audition. It was important to me. I understand. Just like the last time when I flew the regionals. You got a big part. You stood behind Myrna Loy with a bowl of grapes. Good night, Millie. Thank you for the soup. Well, go after her, you dope. Yeah, so we get introduced to uh, another character, another uh, supporting character, Millie. So she kind of runs the diner. And, you know, she's kind of like the one that kind of helps Cliff out, too. Like, she telling him to go after her, you dope. It's good. Well, that's because he opens his mouth and inserts his foot. <laughs> well, just like uh, she's trying to keep Malcolm to shut up about it, too. So it's just, it's funny. And unfortunately, he doesn't get that chance right away. He actually uh, sees her. She gets into a a cab and she leaves and so he's kind of stuck now and so Malcolm apologizes but the damage is done oh yeah and I do have to just make one other comment the vehicles that they had for this movie yeah incredible you know because that that cab was almost the size of a small school bus you know yeah yeah it was then the other cars that were there the period cars I do not know where they got all those cars, but a lot of stunts, you know, a lot of... Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, if I was a collector, I'd probably be just whimpering, you know? <laughs> right. I'm not, so it's okay. Yep, so uh, Cliff goes home to where uh, him, him and PB live, and PB's working on something uh, related to the, the rocket pack, and so they have a, a conversation about what happened, and Cliff is just frustrated because Jenny doesn't understand him, he doesn't understand Jenny... And PB kind of gives him a pep talk saying, hey, look, if you screw this thing up with her, she's a good girl and it's going to be all on you and you need to make things right with her. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. And of course, Cliff tells him, well, hey, how do you know? You haven't had a date in whatever so many years. 1932. And, yeah. And, and he says, uh, 
yeah, he says the girl's name, but, and he's like, looks up in the air in his eyes, like, eh, nothing can compete with her. Right. You know, like that was the only woman that he'd ever loved or what have you. Yeah. But did you, you saw when he was making lines around this thing, did you, what do you think that was? The gold thing that he had. I don't know, like a bread box or something? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Okay. Yeah. I I said, wow, what is that? A toaster? Is it a speaker (laughs) box? What is it? But then I thought, yeah, probably bread box. But then he took a hacksaw to it and he cut it in half. Right. Then they kind of flash it that that's the night Cliff goes to bed. Right. Yeah. It's almost like Peavy's got that typical, you know, tinkerer mentality where he just works through the night and then he goes to sleep in the wee hours of the morning and then cliff is up and he takes a look at what pb did overnight and he looks at the helmet and he's like he's gotta be kidding of course that helmet again it prompted them to give credit to republic pictures yes and and their characters for commando cody and rocket man because that helmet was almost a replica other than the fin that went to the back yeah of the same helmet that they had right right which they probably got it from some archive or something somewhere uh, yeah. to get to make their projection of it which it was cool looking oh yeah definitely i like it yeah so cliff looks at that and he remembers what pb said don't screw it up right exactly so next, where do we go? The next day, Jenny's working on a movie with, turns out to be Neville Sinclair. And so, again, she's scenery and not, she didn't get the, the part of the leading lady. And so we see kind of them acting through it and Cliff decides he wants to, to come visit Jenny on the set, which he shouldn't have done. And he ends up pushing over the backdrop and it ends up making a big accident and Neville's like pinned under it. Yeah, he's fine, but one of the other actors accidentally got stabbed, and so it's a big mess. And then Jenny goes back uh, stage with him to, and he, you know, basically saying, "I need to fix this. Screwed up big time. I need to apologize, and I need to be more upfront with you about things that happened." Right. He, when he comes there, he says that he wants to speak with Jenny. Right. And she's like, "Everybody, she's like, oh, here I am. You know, just really <laughs> embarrassed. You know." Yeah. Yeah. But everybody's mad. Yeah, yeah. Neville says she needs to be fired because it's supposed to be a close set. And he's just kind of sulking in the background. And it turns out that Jenny and Cliff are on the other side of that part of the stage. And he overhears him talking about him and PV finding this rocket thing. Yes. And all of a sudden, it's different. She said she wanted to be part of it. But here he embarrassed her. And it's like, I think she doesn't believe him. Or she's just writing him off like it's not that big of a deal, right? Right. It could be, again, the same thing. She doesn't really show him that she's interested in what he does, just like he doesn't show her. Right. They both love each other, but they haven't grown to that part yet. Yeah, yeah. And she doesn't really get a whole lot of chance to respond to what he's sharing with her by before getting interrupted with one of the people at the studio saying, hey... You're fired off the set. And yeah, here's you your go. check. Here's your yep. paycheck. Exactly. And so she obviously needs to get her stuff and she storms off and, you know, Cliff tries to go after her, but the guy's like, hey, it's a closed set. You need to get out of here. And Neville is like, oh, 
this is my chance now to find out who actually took the rocket. And he tries to get to Cliff, and he's not able to. Cliff leaves before he's able to get out, and there's too many obstacles for Neville to, to get to him. And so he doesn't actually even see Cliff at all. Right, he sees his back. He sees the back of him. Right, exactly. And so once he finds out, hey, well, that's kind of a dead end. I need to actually pursue Jenny and see what happens. And so he uh, he sees Jenny trying to pack things up, and so he decides to uh, put on the charm that, that he has. And so I got that on, uh, on clip right here. Okay, let's hear it. Hello, I'm Neville Sinclair. You must be. Jenny Blake. I... I'd hate to think that I may have been... I'm responsible for you having been dismissed. Will you stay? But it's... It's really my fault, Mr. Sinclair. Have you read for the part of the Saxon princess? No. I think you might be rather wonderful in the role. I'll see that you do. Perhaps we could discuss it over dinner. I've got a regular table at the South Seas Club if you're not too bored with the South Seas Club. I'd love to, mister. Neville. Neville. Tonight, then. Okay, let's get all the atmosphere over here. Hey, ladies in waiting. We're waiting. Let's go. So Jenny's back on the set, and now she has a date with Neville Sinclair. Right, and what we probably should have mentioned earlier is that when Jenny was talking with Cliff earlier, she had said that the part she was auditioning for was an actual speaking part. Yes, that's right. That she was going to have a line. Yep. But, of course, she didn't get that part because the director's niece or... Producer's niece, yeah. Yeah, the producer's niece uh, got the part. Cause right. It's all about, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And yeah. we saw that when she said the line uh, the first time. Right. And it's like, what? what? (laughs) And uh, so, but after all that happens, Neville put on his charm. He's going to take Jenny to the club tonight. Right. From that point, we go back to the airfield. Right, yeah. This is the first time they have to do the clown show. And so Cliff is a little bit late getting back to the airfield. And Bigelow saying, hey, you know, if you guys can't show up and do this thing, you're going to be fired. And then you're just going to have to owe me the money without a chance of making it back. And so they're a little bit worried about that. And Malcolm, who's working at the airfield selling programs, he uh, overhears that and he feels responsible a little bit. Um, and uh, he sneaks away to actually do the clown show. Right. Yes. I think that he probably was at one time a good pilot. Yeah. But that just over the years, who knows if he was shell-shocked or yeah. maybe he had the syndrome. Yeah, well, they, they said that it was, you know, he wasn't been behind the stick for like 20 years or something like that. So, yeah. Right, it's been a while. Yeah. So, anyways, he goes up in the plane. He does, yeah. And the other thing that happens is that we see this little quick sequence of a fuel truck being driven over to the airfield. And Bigelow's like, get it away from the runway because I don't want the same thing happen again that happened last time, right? Yes, that's true. That's true. That was great. So he, he flies up in the plane and Cliff pulls up. It's like, hey, who, who's in the plane? And then he sees PV and he's like, what's going on? I told you I'd be here. And then they found out that it was Malcolm and they they get really worried because he is not the best pilot anymore. 
And so he's basically saying if he drifts into the same lanes that those racing planes are going to be in, there's going to be a catastrophic uh, accident and people are going to die. And so Cliff realizes that the stakes are, are high and he says, well, the only real way to save him at this point is to strap on the rocket and go for it. Yes. And he's got the helmet, so nobody will know who it is. Right. And he does. He straps it on. Of course, Peavy's still telling him, hey, he's still trying to be the cautious one, but not going to happen. Right. Cliff's going to jump off the end of the cliff. Yep. If you're going to do that, here's the thing. So he kind of tells him that he's reworked the uh, rocket a little bit, so it's like more like a throttle, and that the helmet is has a rudder on it, so it kind of steers him uh, right or left. And so if he turns his head, it's going to steer. So get a little bit of exposition of how the actual intricacies of how the rocket works. And so he asks, uh, Cliff asks uh, PB how I look, and he says, like a hood ornament, right? Yes, and he actually does look like a hood ornament. (laughs) Uh, From that time period, there was a similar type hood ornament on one of the cars. Uh I wish I had looked that up, but again, maybe one of our listeners could email us with that answer. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, we're giving them homework, actually, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he uh, takes off, and it takes a little bit of him getting used to how it works. And so we get a little bit of scenes of him flying around kind of uncontrolled, and then he finally gets the hang of it. He uh, gets to the plane where Malcolm's at, and he unfortunately uh, crashes into the bottom of it and surprises Malcolm, and Malcolm knocks himself out with the stick, and so... It's getting a little bit more risky now because the plane is not being piloted right now. And so uh, Cliff, he falls off the plane. He rockets back on. He actually gets there. And after some struggle, he's able to get Malcolm out of the plane. So he's flying with him, holding Malcolm. And the plane kind of loses control. And the plane goes down into the second uh, replacement fuel truck. And it blows things up, right? Yes. Kaboom. (laughs) And uh, big little (laughs) Yes, he's like, and uh, Bigelow's going with the whole thing when he sees the rocket man. Yeah. And actually, he falls off the plane a few times. Yes. And and gets back on. And uh, every time he falls off, it looks like he's going to fall. He hits the rocket. Yeah. And we do need to say this is actually his first time ever using the rocket. Right. Again, like you said, he's learning things on the go. Yep. But Bigelow's like, oh, it's all part of the show. Don't go anywhere. You yeah. Know? Well, I don't think anybody's going to go anywhere because it's riveting, right? You have the uh, film cameras that are just like stuck on them. Like this, what they've never seen anything like this before. And so everybody's fascinated by it. Oh, yes. They're uh, blown away. The reporters are looking at that. And um, again, the reporters are there because this airplane racing, speed racing was a big thing back then. Yep. So yep. it was kind of like having reporters at a baseball game or a football game, you know, a right. professional game. Yep. It was the same type thing. These were professional pilots and they were racing. Right. They're all there. They're taking photos because they have to they have motion picture cameras cuz how else are you going to take a picture of a plane, you know, unless Good you point. have something where you can take the shot, you know? Yep. Yep, so he rescues Malcolm. He drops him off in uh, some sort of airbag thing, and so he's he drops him off. Malcolm's okay. The uh, plane crashes into the fuel tanker. Bigelow gets upset about that, obviously, and he flies away. 
so the uh, press chase after him. And Eddie's guys, who were also uh, at the airfield looking for where the package is, they see it in action. And so they they also drive to go see if they can catch up with him as well. And so Cliff spends the next couple minutes flying away and he goes to flies alongside an airplane or blimp. I forget which one it is, some sort of airplane. Yeah, yes, it was a it was a passenger plane. Right. So they they seize them. He um, uh, accidentally cuts it off. He flies around through a field. He goes through a lady that's uh, hanging laundry. And so he gets a piece of clothing or a sheet stuck on him. And then he goes through a cornfield and the farmers are looking like that's a big gopher. And then yeah. <laughs> he uh, yes. ends up going into a lake and he's ricocheting off the lake like see a skipping stone and he yes. finally crashes and, and Peavy catches up to him, right? Yes. Well, that's all happening. Peavy helps him get up and get out and they're going to try and leave in Peavy's truck. Right. Yep. And then the, they think the press is the ones that are catching up with them. It turns out actually it was Eddie and his boys. And so... Cliff gets this great idea. He's like, just, you know, get uh, in put the truck. Put it in neutral. Put it yeah, neutral. Put in neutral. And then he jumps I'll in the... I'll push. In, yeah, I'll push. <laughs> exactly. He pushes the... He pushes it all right. He pushes the throttle on the rocket, and he just... They just go zooming away, and they get away. So they evade Eddie and his guys, and so they're, they're upset about it. And so they realize they need to figure out some other way to get to him. Right, right. They don't yet know about Jenny or as his girlfriend or anything. Right. And Neville does. Yes. But he doesn't know Cliff. Right. right. So he just tells, he's told Eddie's boys that there's a pilot at the airfield that's uh, the girlfriend of this girl that I'm taking out tonight. I'm trying to find out more information about the guy, but... right. Yeah, he talks about that later on when uh, they get to the South Seas Club. So we'll we'll get to that first. But before that, the reporters go back and talk to to Bigelow because Bigelow is saying, "Oh yeah, th- this was totally my idea. This whole thing." And so they ask him more information about it. And so he, this is where we get the mention of the actual movie name here. How about some background on the flying man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his Come name? Die boy, it's a trade secret. It's all part of the mystery. Oh, Why don't you just call him Rocket Boy? Nah, that's lousy. What about the Rocket Man? That's worse. What about yeah. Missile Man? Yeah. Now that stinks. Come on, Bigelow, give us a better name. Come on, yeah. Bigelow. Oh, how about Rocketeer? Rocketeer. Yeah. Wow. Gotta work. Extra, extra. Man versus the plane. Extra, extra. Roll credits. Yeah. Yes. And it's funny again. They use the name Rocket Man, which was one of the nineteen, the one in nineteen fifty three. The serial uh, was yes. called Rocket Man. Right, right. Uh, so they really couldn't make it Rocket Man. But when he said Rocketeer, he looked outside and he saw something that said Pioneer. Uh huh. And that's where he came up with it. Yeah. You know? Yep. He decided to call it Rocketeer. Yeah, so now that the story's out in the papers, we get a couple people find out. Everybody knows that the rocket is connected to the airfield. And so the feds find out, the Howard Hughes finds out saying, well, guess what? You guys recovered what you thought was the rocket actually was a vacuum cleaner. Congratulations. Yes, and it won't harm anybody anymore. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, so it's... uh, that, that happens. And so the feds decide that evening to go pay a visit to Bigelow. And unfortunately, Bigelow's not uh, able to 
tell them any information because he is folded in half, just like Wilmer. Yes, so we know who visited him. Right, exactly. But before they go to where they probably ended up, they find a note or the imprint of a note that uh, somebody wrote, which was the address for uh, Cliff and Peavy. And so we flash immediately. Lothar has that note in his hand. And so we know Lothar is trying to confront the guys and get the rocket back. Right. And at the by the time he gets there, just Peavy's there at the moment. Right. Cliff, we don't really know where Cliff was, but he uh, comes riding in after Lothar's already inside. Yep. And he drives in on some motorcycle, and then he hears the commotion going inside, and then he comes inside. Right. To try and fight Lothar, and Lothar picks him up, puts his head in the ceiling, you know, and um, Peavy's trying to do things, and they're just like, they have the rocket kind of in a place where it's inconspicuous. Right, it's under a lampshade. Right, and... While all that's going on, the feds come in force. Right. They actually pull their vehicle up. Uh, again, they don't care about anybody else. It's all about them and what they do because they just run right into the picket fence, knock it yep. over. Right. And they go, they're ready to go in guns a blazing, you know? Yep. Yeah. And they, they well, the first thing they, they give, they yell to them saying, hey, open up or the FBI we need to come out with your hands up. And. Unfortunately, Lothar decides that he's going to be the one to fire first. And so he he throws Cliff aside. He pulls out his gun and starts blasting away. And so the feds think that Cliff and Peavy are the ones shooting at him. And so there's, there's this giant firefight happening. And, you know, they're, they're yelling at each other over the gunshot saying, hey, you need to go this way. No, go this way. Yeah. And uh, they they get the rocket. They get out of there. And Lothar gets out of there, too. But before he leaves, even though he didn't find the rocket, he uh, takes the the schematics that PV drawing up to, to work on it. And so it's just mass chaos at this point, right? Oh, yes. And the feds don't care. They just keep shooting. They haven't yeah. stopped shooting. It kind of reminds me there's been a few movies where they've had a fire scene like that. Pretty much by the time they're done, there's nothing left of the house, you know? Yeah. For me, the the callback it reminded me of a Predator. I don't know if you remember that one scene where they just fire into the jungle, like all the machine guns blazing. Yes, yes, yes. But I know uh, uh, another movie, one that we will go through at a later date in another graphic novel called Red. Yes. Retired and extremely dangerous. But right. There's a similar scene to that, only they're not feds. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess they are feds. Well, we'll talk about that. Yep. Anyways, the feds don't, uh, they're not put in a good light in this movie. No. You know. Uh, well, I think it helps to set the historical context. This was the FBI that was run by Herbert Hoover. And uh, Hoover is an interesting character. He, um, I'm not Herbert Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover. I, Hoover, yes. not the president. <laughs> the, right. The guy. Uh, yeah, but Ed, J. Edgar Hoover had fascinating. He had tried to get dirt on everybody, and he really tried to operate spy thing, or not really spy. That's more the CIA, but he operated very. He tried to get dirt on everybody, and he there was a lot of uh, stuff that morally gray areas he operated in, and so we see kind of a reflection of that in uh, the feds that act here. Right again, Stevens uh, when he did the research of all this stuff. 
It being his only comic, he had to do a lot of research in order to do this in the way that he wanted to do it and to make all the perceptions the way he wanted them to be. Right. Anyways, Cliff and Peavy get away. Yep. Lothar gets away. Right. And the FBI's left there holding the bag. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Before we uh, see exactly what, what happened to everybody... Uh, we flash over to the South Seas Club where uh, Sinclair is taking Jenny out on date. And they're uh, obviously he's trying to put the charm on to uh, get information out of Jenny that way. He's trying to use his personality and his uh, celebrity to influence and get information out of Jenny as opposed to a different way that Eddie and his boys would want to do when they find out about her. In fact, I got a clip that talks about that uh, here. So it turns out that Eddie runs the South Seas Club. He owns it. And so he wants to talk to Neville when he shows up. And so Neville excuses himself to go talk to Eddie. And we have a couple other celebrity sightings here. I know he says hello to somebody named Clark. So I'm assuming that means Clark like Clark Gable. That is correct. Right. And then W.C. Fields shows up at the table. And so he says to W.C., hey, can you uh, entertain Jenny while I'm gone? Yes. Yes. He says I... He just excuses himself for a moment. He doesn't uh, right. let them know who he's going to talk to. But Exactly. Yeah, so he, he goes back and he talks to Eddie, and this is what uh, they say. What do you want? Everything okay? We treating you good? Get to the point, Eddie. I'm busy. You found the rocket? You're busy, huh? My guys are tearing up the town looking for that rocket, and you're busy. Romance to some dame, huh? A dame happens to be Seacourt's girlfriend. Good. She'll tell us where Seacourt is. My boys will get the truth out of him in two minutes. Valentine, we're going to do what I think is necessary. And that includes breaking one of my men in half, huh? Next time you go after one of my men, I'll kill you. Don't threaten me, Eddie. Just do your job. Hey, Sinclair. If the feds get me, I'm taking you with me. I want to tell them everything. Who do you think they'd believe? A cheap crook? Or the number three box office star in America. Number three jerk. Yeah. So uh, we see that the Eddie is he's getting pushed to his limits about what he can tolerate with Neville. Right. But again, we just know that he wants the rocket. We don't know why, and we don't know what he's a part of or anything until later on when we find out what right. went on. But at this particular point, Eddie's running his club. Neville is trying to sweet-talk Jenny and try to get some information on her boyfriend. He uh, acts as if he is really, really interested and he wants to know about Cliff. I want to know what my competition is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's trying to make it as if that's what he really, really desires is Jenny when he actually just wants the rocket. Yeah, exactly. And before we get further on, on the date, we get to find out where Cliff and Peavy ended up. And that's uh, they're at the in the roof of the diner. And so they're trying to listen to what's happened. And they realize, hey, we're really in deep here. And PB convinces Cliff, hey, you need to call the feds now. We need to get this back to them. And we need to figure this out. And so they come down, they find out that Bigelow's been murdered, and so they know that it's it's really serious. And so Cliff is on the phone dialing the FBI, and what happens is Eddie's goons show up, and they decide, hey, we're looking for 
Cliff. And so they're not going to let anybody leave until they find out who Cliff is. They, it turns out Cliff is actually right there, but they don't know who he is. They don't uh, have the face associated with the name. So they're trying to figure that out. Yes, they are really uh, pulling their muscle. He smashes some pies. He yep. takes a coffee pot and throws it and smashes it. And They're being the big baddies. Right. While they're doing that, uh, he kind of looks on the wall and he sees uh, Jenny's phone number. Yeah, and so they, they get the idea, hey, let's just call Jenny and find out where, where he is. And so they call her number. Her roommate picks up the phone saying, hey... You missed her. She's not here. She's at the South Seas Club with Mr. Neville Sinclair. And so they find out, hey, the girl is at the South Seas Club. Let's go there. We'll get we'll get a hold of her, and then that's how we'll get to Cliff. And so they leave two guys behind, and they're going to head over to the South Seas Club. And so with just two guys left over, they try to take them out, the guys do. And so just at the last minute, one of the goons says, oh, wait a second. That guy right there, Mr. Ketchup Bottle, the guy who was going to smash him with the ketchup bottle, that's actually Secord. And so they, they punch one guy, the gun goes off in the ceiling, and they're finally able to overpower them. So, Right, the whole gang, the whole gang, they jump on the other guy's back, and yeah. Cliff's like the young buck there. He's the one that's fighting the one guy, Yeah, and, and all these other guys are like my age, probably. Right. But once uh, Peavy's on his back holding the guy's neck, the other guys are punching him. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely overpower him. It's another comedy scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So they, they, they're they successful. And Cliff's like, I got to get to the South Seas Club because Jenny's in trouble now. And so they go back up to the attic where they're at. Right. Which is the dog's head. Yes, exactly. Yep. And so he said, look, I'm just going to use this rocket just to save Jenny. Once that's over with, I'm going to give it back. I promise. And so he's about to go fly after her. And PB notices that the bullet that went off with the gun as they were trying to get the goons away actually put a hole into where the fuel is. And so if Cliff would have taken off, it would have probably blown up. And so they uh, decide to use uh, some of Cliff's gum to plug the hole. And it actually ends up working, so that's a good thing. So Cliff blasts off and goes to the South Seas Club. Yes, and again, this is the second time that PV's been caught behind the rocket as it takes off, and it yeah. knocks him back <laughs> right. for the second time. Like you think, hey, he's going right? to be. Yeah, you yeah. would think he would learn. You know, he's a smart guy. Yeah, but he leaves, and PV goes downstairs, or he's about to, and then there's a gun that comes up pointing at him, and so and then. Right after the guns pointed at him, they flash over to the South Seas Club again. Right, right. So now Cliff is going in through the back. Yep. He's hiding the rocket. Right, in the laundry room. Right, right. Which I thought, because he's uh, disguising himself, that he would have taken off the leather jacket, too. <laughs> you would think. You would think. But no, he just put it over it. I guess yeah. I noticed that he had the, this white waiter suit on and then you can see the tan jacket it's like and it was super tight on him too so it's like yeah yes it's it's ridiculous like it's like (laughs) yeah not not he's not the sharpest tool when it comes to things like that but but yeah so he decides hey i need to get to jenny somehow and so i'm just gonna pose as a waiter and bring some soup over and so there's this really tense scene because jenny has no idea what's going on and so she feels completely comfortable telling Neville about everything that Cliff told her about. 
Right, right. Yes. He's trying his best to kind of hang around the table and he puts a note in Jenny's soup bowl saying, meet me by the big fish as soon as you can. And she's not taking him seriously. She thinks that he's just there because he's jealous of her being out on a date with Neville Sinclair. And so he realizes, hey, she's about to tell him about the rocket. So I need to uh, do something. And so he ends up spilling champagne on her. Yes. And that's not Neville. It doesn't make Neville very happy. Oh, he he is so mad. (laughs) Yes. Because I think it's number one, this guy is just a complete klutz and the other thing is that i'm this close to knowing more about what's happened where my rocket's at and so jenny excuses herself to go clean up and says i'll be right back and then she goes by the big fish and cliff just like grabs her are you out of your mind what are you doing will here? you just listen to me for You're a minute jealous. you found out that i was here with neville and no said- i'm not jealous listen jenny bigelow's been murdered murdered you remember at the studio what i told you about the rocket we found well the people that are looking for it murdered bigelow to get to me and now they're after you. They have your picture, the one from the GB. Jenny, prepare yourself for a shock. I'm the Rocketeer. The Rocket who? Oh, for crying out loud, haven't you read the papers? No, I've been working all day. Wait, look, it's them. The guys with the Over snapshot. There. You gotta get out of here. I want you to get in a cab right now, go to your mom's in Redlands and stay there until you hear from me, okay? Give me one good reason why I should believe any of this. Because if anything ever happened to you, I'd go out of my mind. I swear I would. Um. So she's been told you need to get out of there. And so she gets her coat, tries to leave. Right. She actually does leave. She does. Yeah. Tries to get a taxi. And while she's leaving, Lothar shows up. And Cliff is about to make his exit, too. And unfortunately, he literally bumps into Lothar. And then it all just goes cr- to craziness, right? Oh, yeah. He's running back. He need, he wants to get his rocket pack and get out of there. And they're chasing him. And then also uh, the goons are chasing him. Yep. You know, everybody knows he's there. So they're all going after him. And he gets into the laundry room where he left the rocket pack. And, lo and behold... There's a ton of laundry there. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> well, yeah, it is a laundry room, dude, you know? Yeah. But, it's, thankfully, uh, he's able to locate it, and he goes into the uh, laundry chute, and he blasts away there. And so, what happens to uh, PV twice before now happens to the bad guy, so that's a good thing. Yes, for once, it actually works the right way. <laughs> and then he comes out of the top of the chute, and he lands on a cart with wheels. right. Not a good thing because then he goes out into where everybody is at and everybody sees the Rocketeer. Yes, yes. And so mass chaos ensues. Eddie and Neville say, hey, you need to bar the door so nobody else can get out. That way we'll trap him in here. And Jenny goes back to help Cliff. And so she ends up knocking out Lothar with a statue. You know, I, I thought about that as a almost like a, well, why shouldn't, didn't she just listen to cliff and get out of there and, and stay out of there but it's a good thing she was there because lothar would have probably caught him if uh, she didn't knock him out right yes because he was going around in this confined area yeah there was a fishnet uh because it's part of the decor yes and they were able to shoot the ends down and catch him in the net right so he was almost ready to be a goner 
Right. And Jenny kind of, because of all the commotion going on, she looked in one of the glass windows and saw him as the Rocketeer. And it, it was like, oh, so that's what he was talking about. So she had to get back in there. Yeah. kind of, It was kind of like one of those things like, well, I believe you now, Cliff. So <laughs> I'm going to go back in when you told me to get away. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so he does get away. There's a, a giant glass ceiling thing, and so he crashes through that. He gets away. He doesn't know that Jenny's there, and so Jenny gets caught by Neville. Neville puts chloroform on her, and so she, she gets knocked out. And so Cliff gets away. Jenny gets captured, and that's kind of the end of the scene there. Right. As a matter of fact, he's, like, knocked out, and then, if I'm not mistaken, the next scene is with Jenny... Right. Being in Sinclair's place. Right, yeah. She she wakes up from the chloroform, and she sees Neville come out of the, uh, this bookcase. And so there's something interesting going on there, and she realizes that he's coming to see her, and so she pretends that she's still knocked out. He uses smelling salts to revive her, and he, at this point, is trying to seduce her so he can get the information out of her. Right, which is pretty funny because every line he says... She definitely had to be a fan, you know, because it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You said that to uh, Betty Davis in this movie or you said this to this lady in that movie, you know. Right. So she kind of sees through him that all that charm and smarminess is all based on stuff that he's done. It's all acting, which is good. Uh, We'll see a callback to that later on. And she tries to seduce him as well. So he gives her something to, to change into. And uh, she tries to get him in a vulnerable position. So he's trying to help her with her dress. And she just reaches back and she gets a vase and just cracks it over his head and knocks him out for a little bit. Right. And then she says, I finally played a scene with Neville Sinclair. Yeah. Yeah. He gets his comeuppance. Yeah. Yeah. So he was acting and she was acting. Right. She needs to figure out, hey, what is this, what's going on here? And so she gets to the uh, bookcase and she pulls out the book, and there's a, a secret room that has a giant radio in it. And she sees PV's uh, schematics. She saw his name on it, so she knew that it was PV's. And she takes those, and it's going to hold on to him. And she tries to use the radio for help. There's a German voice on the other side. Yes, and she sees some Nazi signs, some swastikas. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so it's now revealed. she knows. Exactly. It's revealed that... Uh, Neville Sinclair is a spy for the Nazis, which is a callback to Errol Flynn because that was a rumor that he was a Nazi spy, right? Yes, it was never proven, but yes. Yeah. It was. I actually used to like his movies. He did some really good movies. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely a a good, much better than Neville Sinclair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. So Jenny finds out the plot. Cliff goes back to the diner and he's going to try to find, going to go back to find PV so he can return the rocket because he thinks that Jenny has gotten away. He's got away. And so now it's time just to be done with it. Right. But, but he, he hid the rocket. Yeah. He, he hid the rocket. He goes into the diner and the, the phone rings. And so he picks up the phone. It turns out it's Eddie saying, Hey, we got Jenny. And if you don't come to, uh, Griffin Observatory at 4 a.m. with the rocket, we're going to kill her. And so it's uh, it's pretty bad. And so before he can even do anything about that, the feds bust in and they capture him. Yes, that's true. 
And so they wind up having to go and see none other than Mr. Hughes. PV was already there, and so they're talking about the improvements that PV made. Uh, Howard Hughes is really impressed with his work, and so we get a little cooling conversation there. And then they they bring him in, they bring uh, Cliff in in handcuffs to go see Howard Hughes. They talk for a little bit, and Howard Hughes kind of explains really what the what the rocket is. You know who I am? What pilot doesn't, Mister Hughes? I designed the Cirrus X three, the rocket pack. It was stolen from my factory. I didn't take it. Clifford, I told him everything that happened, and he believed it. Give the man his rocket. I can't do that. Not yet. Clifford, we agreed to give it back to its rightful owner. That's him. Secord, I don't think you know the game you're playing. Go ahead, roll it. The German prototype had the same problem as our first design. The combustion chamber would overheat and explode. My boys finally figured it out. A double-walled chamber into which the fuel is pumped. Cool the chamber and preheat the fuel at the same time. The German experiment didn't seem like much to worry about. But when we got our hands on this next film, we realized the scope of their plan. Keep watching, kid. It cost a man's life to get this out of Germany. The next part of the scene is all visual, so I didn't capture the rest of that clip, but we see a propaganda cartoon from Nazi Germany with thousands of soldiers with those rockets taking over the world. And so that's their ambitions. And so this rocket is the key to all of that. And that's why it's so important that the Nazis want to get it so they can replicate the technology and use it for world domination. So that's the real plot. Well, and, you know, when he said that about that it costs a life, the first thing I thought of was Star Wars. Yes. Many Boston yeah. spies died getting the plans out, right? Yes, yes. I I so thought that same thing, and I said, wow. Yeah. Okay, I said, but like we said earlier, real people. So you yeah. actually, uh, unlike that story, which we knew was all fantasy, this seemed to be more realistic. And one thing I will say about the, uh, the propaganda film, even though it's morally horrifying, the thought of Nazis and jetpacks, that is terrible. It's beautifully animated. Yes, done very well. They did a yeah. great job. Very faithful to the original like source material about that. It's, it's uh, scary and beautiful at the same time, which you see that a lot. Sometimes. That's true. Yeah. You do. But again, that's a Disney thing. Yeah. That, like DC has better animation than Marvel. Uh-huh. When it comes to Disney animation, the clarity yeah. and with everything that they do, whether it's Mickey Mouse or some special movie, all of their movies, the clarity and the crispness of the designs and the artwork is just incredible. Yeah. This is probably outside the scope of this podcast, but I'll just say that in the 80s and early 90s, uh, there were some other rival animation studios that really got close to beating Disney. I think in some instances, they actually ended up bettering them, which I think of Don Bluth Studios. That's the one I'm thinking of in particular. Who Don Bluth came from Disney, so stands to reason. Right. Well, yeah, that's where he got his, yes, his start. So, yes, and we'll get into that in later episodes. Possibly, yeah. We could. All right, so let's uh, let's move on. We're we're really close to the end here, and that's one thing I will say about the movie is that it, I think it's very well paced, and we'll talk more about that towards the end. But Cliff says, "Hey, look, I understand 
the stakes are high, but I really got to take the rocket just for one more thing because I got to save Jenny. They got her. They're going to kill her. And so Howard's like, well, let's take care of it. We'll save her. No problem. And he says, they're going to kill her if I don't come alone. They said, no, that's not going to happen. Cliff ends up punching the same FBI agent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yep, he did that. And then he goes on this model of, I think it was the Spruce Goose, right? Is that what it was? Yes, it was uh, an interesting thing because people thought in, back in that day that it would never fly. Right. It was a project that Howard Hughes wound up sinking a lot of money into. And, right, uh, right. When he uh, gets on that model and it takes off and he's like, oh, it will fly. Yeah. yeah, so another real-world reference. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So they, they let him get away, but I think they put a, a tail on him, and so they're going to show up a little bit later. But he ends up collecting the rocket where he stored it, and he goes to the observatory. He's going to switch the rocket for Jenny because he cares more about her than anything else. Oh, yes. So he shows up, and we have a ton of Eddie and his goons there. You have Neville there. You have Jenny there. And so there's this really tense scene where... And Lothar's there, too. Yes, thank you. Yeah, can't forget him. And so uh, Cliff lands, and all the all the goons are just kind of there with uh, Tommy guns and everything. They're armed, and it's like this, give me the rocket, you let her go first, and they go back and forth. And the uh, interesting thing is that we already saw the, the seeds of doubt sown with Eddie and his alliance. This is the scene where, really, his allegiances get uh, tested, because he finds out the truth about Neville. Come on, kid, hand it over so we can all go home. What's it like working for a Nazi, Eddie? Huh? They pay you in dollars or Deutschmarks? What's he talking about? Oh, yeah, I got it straight from the feds, Eddie. Nazi spy ring, flying commandos, or works. <laughs> Kids have been flying with the ass too thin. Ask him about the secret room. Ask me about the Germans on the radio. Relax, Frankenstein. You ain't bulletproof. Talk fast, Sinclair. You tell him, Eddie. Shut up! Oh, come on, Eddie. I'm paying you well. Does it matter who I work for? It matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. Let it go. Yes, yeah, so it gets in a really tense moment, and I, I do love the. It, it's funny because you think about the uh, <laughs> the Nazis, and people like to unite against them for some reason. It's 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 interesting. Even the the crooks will will turn against them. So while that's happening, turns out that Neville has an ace up his sleeve. Yes, he does. He hollers that he gives out orders in German, and then all of these German Nazis come with their machine guns. And they're much better armed than Eddie and his guys, you know? So you think, okay, well, it can't get possibly get any more uh, crazy until some spotlights get shine on everybody and the feds show up. Yes, and then all of a sudden it's the feds and the crooks against the Nazis. Yeah. Like you were saying. Yeah. Which kind of reminds me of the 9-11 when that happened. Yeah. It was everybody kind of united there for a little while. Yeah. Everybody was kind of on the same page. So Yeah. You know, and historically speaking, you could also make the case that it was the same way during the Cold War, where both political parties were united against communism, which was the big threat then. Right. And 
nowadays it's every man for himself. Yes, yes, we. It's this sad reality of where we're at now. Now people are just being called Nazis, even though they're not. So, um, anyway, we'll talk more about that when we get to the the end. So, with all the craziness going on, Neville takes Jenny and Lothar, and they all go with the his soldiers to the giant Zeppelin that was mentioned in the newsreel all the way back towards the beginning of the movie, and that's kind of where things are going there, and so. Cliff gets away from where the main action is at. He sees that they're getting on the Zeppelin, and he knows he needs to go after them to save Jenny. Right, and actually that is the, the greatest scene where he's up on the roof yes. with the American flag, and he, like, takes off, and even Eddie's like, well, go get him, kid. Yep. He ends up getting on top of the Zeppelin. They have a soldier go up there to go after him, and there's a scuffle and the soldier gets thrown off. Cliff is able to evade that attack, and then Sinclair sends Lothar after Cliff. It gets a little crazy up there. Well, yeah, because when he lands on the Zeppelin, he does damage to the rudder. So Yes, that's right. Th- they're kind of stuck going nowhere. I mean, they're just going to be able to go in one direction. They can't steer it or anything and get away. Right, right. So then Lothar goes up top and he clips himself on with a rope yes and puts a harness around his waist right which he's the smart one i guess if you think about it but <laughs> yeah they start fighting and then the pilot or the captain of the zeppelin makes a comment about them being superior the germans being superior and yeah. This uh, there's not going to be any issues with this. They'll get away, and right. because Lothar was on the rope, and he somehow Cliff is able to get the rocket pack and get away, right. and yep, and he falls and yep. is swinging, and he goes right through the window. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, so uh, the pilot goes out the window. Right, so the finest pilot in Germany is now the fi- probably the most famous flyer in Germany, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, without a parachute. Yeah, it, it ends up going not too well, and they send another soldier to go up and take care of Cliff, and we hear a scuffle, and Cliff knocks the guy out down the stairs, and then he gets Cliff gets into the main cabin where everybody's at. Yes, he's there. Neville then, he grabs Jenny. He's threatening to kill her. This is the the last uh, exchange that they have before the, the big scuffle. And so Sinclair gives Cliff an ultimatum here. I've had a belly full of you and your cheap heroics. Hand over the rockets or I'll blow her brains. All over the cabin. No, don't give it to him. Cliff, you can't! I have to. El Capitan! If she moves, kill her. There's a couple things I want to point out in this scene. I love this scene for two big things. Number one is Timothy Dalton's acting is just perfect. He now has a different accent. He has a German accent when he's saying these things. It's not British anymore, so you can tell that he's rattled. His character is rattled because of everything's not going to plan, 
and you can hear the the German in his voice at this point. Right, he's out of character. He's out, yeah. he's not acting now. I'll, I'll blow her brains all over the cabin. Right, you know. Yes. Yeah, he <laughs> so, did that wonderful. He really did good. So that was just brilliant, brilliant acting on Timothy Dalton's part. And then the second thing that I love is if you could hear the score in the background. So you had this theme. The main theme of the movie, playing throughout the entire movie, it's kind of like Cliff's theme when he's flying and when he's on the rocket pack, you know, flying through the air, you hear this theme. And then the theme is changed in this scene. It's in a minor key instead of a major key. And so it's the same melody, it's just in a minor key. So I just thought to the confrontation part, and I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. Love it. Oh, again, Disney doesn't do anything halfway you know and uh they hire the people that they hire or that are get hired to do this musical scores the directing everything is done top notch right anyway so cliff does give him the rocket but before he does he uh decides to take the chewing gum that was holding that bullet hole together off and so neville doesn't notice this right well he loosens it up so it's just a drip yes because if he would have taken it off, it probably would have spewed out and they would have noticed it. Right, right. So he slides it, and then Jenny decides to make a play to to get loose from the guy that's holding her. And she stomps his foot with her heel. And then Cliff sees that as his opportunity to scuffle with Neville. And so him and Neville are just fighting together. They're punching each other. They're almost falling out of the blimp. They almost don't fall out. So it's there's lots of craziness going on. And Jenny pushes the other guy that was holding her hostage out and he goes away. He becomes a skydiver too without a parachute. Yes. And then and then she grabs a flare gun, thinking probably it's just a regular gun or whatever to threaten them, and then she shoots them, and then the flare gun goes off inside the cabin. And so we have fires that are happening on a blimp that is filled with hydrogen. Not the best combination. No. No, and it's like, well, you know, that's uh that wasn't good that wasn't good, but at this point Neville's got his Luger pointed at them. Right. And he's like, well, you know what? You guys are going to get blown up. Right. And so I'm just going to take off. Right. He said he'll miss Hollywood and then he takes off. And of course, it's leaking. Yep. So we get another look at the way the German rockets came out. (laughs) Right. So he uh, he blasts off and obviously catches on fire, and he literally does miss Hollywood. There's a scene that says Hollywood Land. It's the famous Hollywood sign, and he crashes into the land part, and so he missed Hollywood, literally. Yes, he did. <laughs> da dum bump Yep, you have that. And then the other part of that is... So there was the uh, German Zeppelin called the Hindenburg that blew up, right? I think it's a reference to this, right? Yes. Another real world reference. Yes, yes. And there was actually a movie that was made in earlier times about the Hindenburg and its explosion. Right. And they actually had original footage. Mm. Uh, That was the big claim to fame about this movie when the fire actually happened. Right. It was a landing and they were showing it all and actually showing real pictures of from that it was incredible so the blip is getting uh gonna blow up in flames and so jenny and cliff they get on top of the, the hindenburg or not that, i don't know if it's hindenburg or not but anyway on top of this zeppelin right at the same time pv and howard actually have like this uh, gyrocopter or gyroplane 
that's uh, going to go rescue them. And so Another one of Howard Hughes's inventions. Yes, yes. This is my favorite part, too. Yeah, yeah. So Lothar is actually back on the roof, and he's trying to uh, defeat Cliff once and for all. And so the blimp starts to blow up. And Jenny and Cliff run away from the flames, and, and Lothar's also running too. And one thing that Lothar forgot to do is unbuckle himself. And so now he's <laughs> stuck, and he's going to get caught in the explosion. So Lothar meets his demise by being on top of exploding Zeppelin. So poor Lothar. Yes, yes. And Peavy and Howard come by with the plane, and they drop down a ladder and tell him to grab yep. onto the ladder, and they take off. Just as the rest of the Zeppelin blows up in just the nick of time. Of course, of course. And so they, they get away and and the, the battle is over. Neville lost and the rocket is destroyed for good. Flash over to the, the aftermath. Um, PV, Jenny, and Cliff are back at the diner reading the story about everything. And there's a cover-up with what actually really happened to Neville Sinclair. And they're kind of just thinking, ah, oh, it would have been nice to you know, have the rocket again and do all those things. And- yes, they're actually uh, getting closer. He's being more affectionate to Jenny. And- right. And Peavy's like, just, hey, you know, he's like the third wheel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so while it's happening, they hear this loud engine outside. And who shows up but uh, Howard Hughes in a, in a GB plane that looks brand new. And so... Howard jumps out, and Cliff goes out to, to talk with him. She's a beauty, Mr. Hughes. Isn't she? Another month, she'll be ready for the Nationals. Miss Blake, would you excuse us for just a moment? Of course. I've been meaning to ask you, what was it like? Strapping that thing to your back and flying like a bat out of hell. It was the closest I'll ever get to heaven, Mr. Hughes. Well, maybe not. See you around, Rocketeer. Oh, don't ever fly her without this. He uh, hands it, uh, Cliff some gum. Beach him. Yep. And then the sticker is revealed that the pilot of the new GB is Cliff Secord. And so this is a plane from Howard Hughes for Cliff. Right. This model, the GB, yep. was a Model Z. Okay. And it actually, the Nationals, it was called the Thompson Trophy. Uh-huh. And this plane, the GB, won the Thompson Trophy in 1931. Ah. And so it actually did win the Nationals. Wow. So that was kind of cool. I thought that was pretty neat Yeah, that they did that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so we get this last scene where Cliff's got his girl, he's got his plane, and it just kind of zooms out, and that's the end of the movie. Well, kind of in a way, they did have a scene with some boys, little boys, running around. Oh, yeah. Saying, hey, I'm the Rocketeer. Oh, yeah. You know, Shades of Captain America. Yep. And then the other part is Jenny remembered that she had the schematics, and so she was able to give them back to Petey. And so there's like this hint of, hey, maybe there's a possibility we could bring it back or whatever. But uh, no. Right. Right. And uh, the reason for that was that uh, the budget for the film was 35 mil. 
mm-hmm. and it only grossed 46 mil. Really? So they thought that it was not a good idea to come up with a sequel. Yeah. And it was strictly a profit thing. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, part of me sees that it could have done, they could have done a sequel. Like I, I could see Cliff Secord getting drafted into the, the military and him being like a special commando with the rocket and, you know, having adventures in, in Nazi Germany or in the Pacific or something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be a possibility, but... Again, at that particular time, mm-hmm. Dave Stevens was still around. Yeah. And it was his comic. And again, his only comic. Right, right. So he, it may have been that he chose not to write anymore. Or again, yeah. uh, IDW picked up the comic in 2011. Right, right. So that is 20 years after, right? Yeah. After the movie, the release date. So if IDW didn't have the rights till 2011, that would be, it might have been a hard sell to get it to come back, possibly. Right. Right. But again, for the time, the special effects in this movie were done by Industrial Light and Magic. Okay. Yep. Which which is a division of Lucas Arts and Entertainment. That's right. So imagine that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that did great work. So that's the movie. You know, I think the main theme of this movie, if I had to put it on something, it would be deception and its consequences, right? I mean, everybody's deceiving somebody. People aren't being honest with each other, and it ends up being really messy. You have Cliff not bringing the rocket back to the feds, and so that ends up creating a big mess of trouble. Right, Bigelow dies. Their house gets destroyed. Yeah, not a, a lot of good things happen. A lot of bad things happen. Exactly. And then the other thing is that you have Eddie. He's being deceived by Neville. He didn't know that he was a Nazi, and he never would have worked with him if that was if that was known. And there's lots of things happening there too. And you know, Neville would never have been able to get the muscle to get the rocket if he was known who his true allegiance was for. And so. Um, and if, if the feds were a little bit more upfront about what was going on, maybe Cliff would have cooperated, right? Right. Everybody was deceiving everybody. Yeah. Which is really, in my mind, Old Testament biblical. Yeah. You know, Abraham deceived uh, quite a few kings because right. he was afraid for his life. His wife wasn't his wife. She was his sister. Yes. You know, yes. and even though he wasn't really lying he was lying you know well i mean the other part of that i mean you could think of i mean abraham is maybe one or two stories about that but the real deceiver in the ot is definitely jacob oh yes and he learned that from his mother right who deceived their father isaac yep yep making it seem like he was his twin brother when he wasn't even close to his twin brother so right but yeah then that deception went on with his children too Right, exactly. So you see that, and the the cool thing about that is that you have the story at the very end of it, the very end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, where all of this deception happening, whether uh, Joseph is the second in command in Egypt, he's the prime minister, and his brothers are fearful of their lives because Jacob is dead, and so he thinks that Joseph was just nice to them for the sake of his father. Now the father's gone, they're like, oh no, what's going to happen to us? And then Joseph says this beautiful thing, and we get this picture of God's sovereignty. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, to save a nation. 
That's right. And so we kind of see a little bit of that story here in that even though all these terrible things happen at the end of the day, Cliff still has Jenny. He has a brand new plane and we assume that he's going to fly the national. Right. Yes. Right there at the end when he sees his name, you could, the acting was just like excellent. He looks at the, his name and you could see him like getting choked up and he tells Peavy, Hey, I never got to say thank you. And he says, Hey, he saw the look on your face, right? He knows that you're thankful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And then uh, I think the only other thing I want to mention is that actual Nazis are bad. And people nowadays throw that term around way too loosely. And that it's good to have a reminder of what actual Nazis are. <laughs> so, there are some out there. You know, they, they call are. them skinheads. Yes, yes. But everybody who doesn't agree with a leftist is now a Nazi. So it's uh, it's difficult now. True. It's dangerous because, you know, there are real Nazis out there, like you said. And so if we can't identify, it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? If we really can't identify them when they actually come around, you're not going to notice them. Right. And that's it's a deception thing that I find a lot. I was sharing that with your mother. We were watching the show. I can't remember which one it was, but the person that was the evil one she was like the fairy godmother but she you know not a fairy godmother but the prince princey girl with the blonde hair the sweet looking face and she was really the baddie Mm -hmm. and i tried to i told your mom in real life back when i was working i had a friend who down the street from his house the police raided it because it was a meth lab right and the people that were the doing the meth lab, it was this heavy set couple with four children and a little baby. And they're making meth in that house with those kids. And it's like you would see them every morning taking their children to the school bus. And they looked yeah. like just the happiest family. Uh-huh. And here they were chemists making drugs, yeah. bad yes. drugs, you know? Right. If you see something... That's not good. You need to mention it. You need to step out and say yep. something, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, which we don't do anymore. We just decide that, like you said, okay, he doesn't agree with us, so he's a Nazi. <laughs> or a racist, they've said, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, 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 yeah, it's dead. But anyway, like you said, that just encourages us to be truthful and to be lovers of the truth, right? Right, and the more that we do it, and I learned today or we talked today that you shouldn't just hang out with other truthful people because you're there you have a responsibility to be a light to others Uh you know and to reflect that because even when you're in a line at a grocery store or somewhere your attitude could reflect on other people if it's a long line and you decide to complain right other people will complain with you. Yep. But if you show a positiveness, that can... I always try to say something nice to the cashier because you don't know if the person before him just yeah. reamed him a new one, you know? Right, yeah. It's, yeah, I do I do see that, and I do... I appreciate when you do that. I do. Right, well, I, I feel it. it's important, and it's our duty to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I need to work on that. 
All right, cool. So that's the movie. Let's give it a rating. So why don't you go first? Oh, great. I knew you would do that. I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, it's okay. I like the movie, but it is an old movie and old special effects and what have you. Nostalgic, but I'm giving it a seven. Okay. You know, which I thought was very extra. Yeah. I was going to go less than that, but wow, I thought seven was good. After I found out all the information yeah. about the story, yeah, I thought it was worth the extra. Yeah, no, I agree. So I'm definitely letting my nostalgia take over for this because I'm giving it a nine. I I love this movie. It's part of my childhood. So obviously (laughs) I'm a little biased. And then, like I said, the acting I really love. And it was just, it came out at the perfect time for me. This was a movie for me. And so um, I I can't, I can't get away from that. So (laughs) that's me. Well, that's, that's great. And uh, I'm sure all of the plethora of information extra information that i gave you yeah will also enhance that for you oh no doubt um and i i'm going to conclude with just this one story okay you remember i told you that dave stevens the creator and writer of this comic that he did the part of jenny after this uh pinup model the world's most famous pinup model, Betty Page, according to... Yeah. She was more than just a pinup model. Back in the day when pinup models uh, didn't uh, wore a lot of clothes. Mm. And Dave Stevens found out after the movie came out that she was still alive. Oh, wow. So he actually became very close with her. Oh. And he helped her to get the rights to books... And movies because she was like, you know, a starving actress from way back when. Right. And he was instrumental in her getting the rights that she totally deserved Mm. because she was from that time when women didn't get all this extra stuff. They didn't have a voice for themselves. And she died in 2008, not he died like a few months after that. Wow. So, uh, although he died from leukemia, uh-huh. I have a feeling that they had a very close relationship. And uh, I don't know if it was a motherly thing or grandmotherly thing, but he had a lot of affection for her. And wow, uh, he may have just given up that time after she died. I don't know. Interesting. Yes, I'd like to delve more into that story, but... Something for our listeners to email us about again. Sure. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about what we're going to do for the next episode. So uh, we are getting to the point uh, in this uh, release schedule where we're getting close to the holidays. So I figured it would be a good chance for us to look at a movie that is based on a comic strip. Okay. So let's look at one of the all-time classic Christmas specials and let's look at Charlie Brown Christmas. What do you say? I'd say do 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 do. <laughs> All right, very good. Yeah, no, and I have to say that is interesting that you picked that because uh at church today mm-hmm. when I talked with the pastor about playing a tune for Christmas. 
Yeah. And when I told him that I was gonna that I wanted to play the ukulele, ukulele. Yeah. And he w- came up with this song that some Spanish, uh, not Spanish, a uh, Hawaiian word for Merry Christmas. He said, "Oh, can you do that?" And I said. Well, I could learn it. And he says, well, if you do that, then he started playing his piano and he did. And so I said, oh, so you're going to play that one, huh? And he says, okay, (laughs) from the Charlie Brown movie. So, hey. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I said, oh, really? Okay. (laughs) So you want to do Charlie Brown Christmas? Yeah, yeah, let's do that, and it'll be, uh, I think, a a good one. So uh, we want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Pops Collection. If you have any feedback, please email us at popscollectionpodcast at gmail.com. We will see you next week where we will discuss a Charlie Brown Christmas. Goodbye, and God bless. Goodbye. Uh, See you next week.